Let us pray. Almighty God, you have spoken to us through your Son. Let your written word now be spoken and heard by each of us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand that we may not refuse your calling or ignore your voice. May we all be taught by you through your powerful word. Bring our every, make our every thought captive to obeying Christ, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. The reading today in our series on biblical evangelism is from the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter, verses 19 through 31. Listen now to the word of God. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of our Lord Thanks be to God. We hear this awful story of a wealthy man who apparently did not care to share from his abundance, and he died and ended up in hell. Now this this, this story has a great deal to say to us in many ways. It's 
Today, though, I'm going to be concentrating on the most grave part of the story, and that is the reality of hell, the truth about hell, the dangers about hell. You may recall that when I began this series on biblical evangelism, I talked about how biblical evangelism does not shy away from some hard truths and some hard words. And so there are going to be some hard truths and hard words spoken today about this topic. And that is because, of course, the topic of hell, the reality of hell, is something that rightly shakes us. It horrifies us. This man, this wealthy man, is in hell, and he is in the agonizing flames of hell. He is a human being, he is a human soul, and he has been damned for an eternity of suffering. And here is what is truly awful about this. After a day of unbearable agony, agony that we cannot imagine, he is no closer to the end of his suffering. After a week of that agony, the same thing. After a month, after a year, after a hundred years, after 10,000 years, there is no end in sight. And so with this grave reality confronting us in these words, we would do well to ask, what is hell and how do people go there? So to begin with, we will consider what is hell. First, hell is symbolized or represented by fire. And I'm not trying to downplay that. I remember something Billy Graham wrote about hell. He said, if, even if the flames are not literal flames as we understand them, you know, the sort of things you see in a fireplace or whatever, what they represent is probably worse. It is certainly not any better. But in any case, hell is represented by fire. Jesus himself says, for example, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 13, 41 and 42, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now Jesus, of course, was not a simple man, but he was a simple teacher. He spoke in terms and used illustrations that an ordinary person could understand. And so in teaching about hell, Jesus said, essentially, you know what Gehenna is like. Well, hell is like that. And certainly the people of the time could understand this. Well, what was Gehenna? Gehenna was an actual place. It was a narrow ravine south of Jerusalem. Prior to Israel's possession of the promised land, this place was the center of worship for the cult of Moloch. A metal image of this god with outstretched arms would be heated and babies would be placed in Moloch's arms in sacrifice to him. To show their utter rejection and their utter abhorrence of this god and this evil practice, the Hebrews turned the valley into a dump 
a dump where garbage was burned night and day, where the flames never died and where the smoke always was seen rising over it. It was a place of great offensiveness and hopelessness. And Jesus said, hell is like that. Getting into a little more detail, we learn from the Bible that hell is the place of fire that burns and does not consume. The rich man begged for Lazarus, the poor beggar who had died and since went to his reward. He begged for Lazarus to be sent to him with a drop of water to cool his tongue because he was being tormented by the flame. We do not know how much time has lasted between the rich man's death and this experience, but however long it was, we see that the rich man lives on, tormented by the flames of hell. And they were flames which did not consume him. It is very sad that apparently this man may not have been a very bad man, the rich man, but he did not share of his abundance with Lazarus. He did not seemingly give him relief from his suffering. And so now he is in a situation where it is impossible for him to get relief from his suffering. Hell is a place where both body and soul suffer. This man, the rich man, said, I am in anguish. And yet, there's no indication, at least from the text, that he already had his resurrected body. And this is because his very soul was in torment. And I think we, we know that from some of our own life experiences. Uh, we can be in pain ourselves, even if, we're not, if you, even if there's nothing physically wrong with us, we can be in pain. We can be depressed. We can be in anguish. We can be in mourning. So we know that it is not necessary for our bodies, our physical bodies to suffer, for us to suffer. And so it is the reality in hell. It is a place of suffering for the whole person, whether embodied or not. Hell is the place of the fire that burns and yet does not consume. And that's connected to the fact that the Bible tells us that hell is eternal. Matthew 25:46 refers to those rejected by God who go to everlasting punishment. This is a hard teaching. Many people cannot accept it. So why does the Bible teach that hell is eternal as I believe it teaches? Well, one reason that hell is everlasting is that humans are everlasting. Job asks, if a man dies, shall he live again? And much later, the writer of Hebrews essentially answered the question by saying, or writing, it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. If you cease to exist at death, how can there be a judgment then? Everything's done. Everything is over. Humans, believe it or not, are indestructible creatures. Human bodies may decay and dissolve or be burned to cinders, 
but the essential self of a human being cannot be destroyed. And so therefore, if a person rejects Christ, that person rejects an eternity with him, that person rejects heaven. And if that person rejects heaven, he chooses the other place in which to spend eternity, a place as everlasting as he himself is. And it is because of the seriousness of sin as well that hell is everlasting. Deuteronomy 25.16 says, For all who do such things, all who act dishonestly, are an abomination to the Lord. Isaiah 13.11 says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. God always has considered sin a deadly serious problem. In fact, he considered it so serious that he was willing to go to the extreme of sending his only son to die on the cross, to spill his precious blood in order to purchase forgiveness for all who would come to him in faith. And so, should one, should anyone who rejects the Son of God expect, therefore, that his sins will be pardoned anyway? No, it is not possible. The only way to receive forgiveness of sins is to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. One aspect of hell that is especially awful for humans is that it was a, it is a place that was not originally built for humans. In Matthew 25:41, Christ speaks of hell as a place prepared for the devil and his angels. And yet, unless one holds to a particular form or some form of universalism, a great many people end up there. Even if it wasn't built for them, they end up there. And that's part of the problem. Now, this leads to very complex thoughts that I can't really address very fully today. Complex thoughts about the will of God and how people end up in hell. Both the doctrines of predestination in which God has an unchangeable decree in which some people will go to hell is problematic. The doctrine of free will, though, I think is also problematic because then it says a human being can, in fact, make a choice against the will of God. Uh, I can't resolve that tension today. There are problems with both. But it would seem to me, though, that the Bible nonetheless teaches that there is a hell and that people go to it. And we know that they go there, however the mechanism works, we know that they go there because they have rejected the lifesaver the, or the saving lifeline that has been thrown to them by Jesus Christ. People must grasp that lifeline if they are to go to the place that God has prepared for them. Described by Jesus in John 14.2, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you, 
I go to prepare a place for you. And so that is where people should be in heaven. And yet, not all are. You see, hell was designed to be the abode of fallen angels. Angels were fallen if they had rebelled against God. And thus, fallen angels became servants of Satan. In the New Testament, demons would do the work of Satan just as angels would do the work of God. It is like a funhouse mirror, a terrible place, a terrible funhouse mirror reflection of heaven in which you have Satan in charge and his demons doing his work. Instead of the beauty of heaven, where God, of course, rules, and where the angels do his work. Hell was not designed for people, and yet it is the destination for lost people. Psalm 9.17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. And indeed, this is the fate of every person who continues on the path of life without God. Hell is the ultimate dead-end street for the ungodly. Now, while we know that people go to hell, we need to further explore why people go to hell. God himself seems to ask why this would happen. Ezekiel 18, 21-22 says, Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. And yet, and yet there are those who do not. One reason that people end up in hell is because they just don't believe God exists. This means that they do not believe in the reality of heaven or hell. And this refusal to believe results in them going to hell. And that actually makes a fair amount of sense. I believe in objective truth. It really is irrelevant if I accept the reality of hell and heaven, if they in fact exist. It makes absolutely no difference. I cannot create the reality in my mind. They exist or they do not exist, and it matters not whether I believe in it or not. That reminds me, I'd like to adapt a phrase that's often used. You've heard people say, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. That's actually the wrong thing to say. What you should say and believe is that the Bible says it, that settles it. Because it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It is or it isn't. In any case, the grave truth is that there are millions of sincere but very deceived people who die every year and go to hell because they believe there is no God, no judgment, and no eternal destiny. And then there are some who believe in God, but in an unjust God. Now, what does that mean? When we think, at first glance, of an unjust God, we might think of a God who's too harsh. I'm actually thinking of a God who is not enough of a judge. There is no sense of justice and righteousness in such a God. People may know that sin is being committed, but they want to pretend that God will not punish sin. But God is a God who recognizes and punishes sin. More than 15 times, God says, I will punish. I'm talking about in the Bible. More than 15 times in the Bible, God says, I will punish. You know, there are various pseudo-Christian cults out there 
Jehovah's Witnesses and Christian Science uh, sects, they teach as part of their basic doctrine that there is no hell and that God would not punish sin in that manner. And while there are mainstream churches, Protestant churches, that do not explicitly reject the reality of hell, many within them, including people of responsibility, do reject that reality. And then there are people who, they don't deny hell, but they just ignore it, which is pretty understandable. I don't think about it every single time, every single moment of the day. But totally ignoring it is going too far. A person might think, I do not question whether hell exists, but I don't want to think about it. I choose to ignore it, hoping that in time it will go away, which is just as effective as a child hiding from monsters under his blanket. And yet Proverbs reminds us, those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. And so what that means is that for a full understanding of God and his ways, we do indeed need to acknowledge and believe that hell exists. Now, if people do ignore the reality of hell, there are a couple of reasons. First, it disturbs them, and that's understandable. Uh, it's not something we should be happy about. There's hell. Not something to celebrate. But of course, then going from a perverse celebration of hell to totally ignoring it is the wrong answer. Now, second, another reason why people may ignore hell is because they're very disturbed that a loved one may be there. Francis Chan, who has written an important book about the biblical witness on hell, confessed to that fear himself. But if we consider the words of the tormented wealthy man in hell, we know that any of our loved ones in hell would not want us to be there with them. In other words, if we can imagine a loved one in hell, I hope we can, but if we can, we have to know that they would never want us to be there with them. And so it would be perverse if in some kind of loyalty, some attempt to hang on to the memory of a loved one in hell, we would end up in hell ourselves. Now, some people go to hell because they procrastinate. This was actually the main theme of my sermon on the dangers of delay. People in this group may say, well, preacher, I believe there is a hell, and that Jesus Christ is the only way to stay out of hell, and I will definitely accept him as Savior and Lord, Sometime, someday, but sometimes the someday never comes, and the procrastinator ends up in hell. Now you may wonder why someone would put off such a decision if they know the truth of it. Some people think it may be easier to make the decision later. In Acts 24, when the Apostle Paul testified to the governor named Felix, Felix was deeply convicted, but he still felt the decision would be easier at a later date. But I think in reality, waiting, procrastinating, only makes a decision more difficult. There have been times where I've procrastinated on certain things that I need to do, and I found it harder and harder to actually do it the more I procrastinated. It would have been much better to get it out of the way early on and then not have to worry about it anymore. 
Then there are some people who think they have more time. They simply have more time than they actually have. James warned against this. James 4.14, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And I have to confess in my own case, when I went to that Billy Graham crusade back in 1992, something that convicted me and made me realize I needed to accept Christ right then was something that Reverend Graham said. He said, you just don't know how much time you have. You could be driving home from this crusade tonight and you could get in an accident and you could die and you'll have no more time to make the decision for Jesus Christ. And I thought, you know, he's absolutely right. I better do it right now. Now, as it turns out, 24 years later, more than 20 years later, I'm still around, but I couldn't have known that then. And so, in recognition of that reality, I made that choice. Then there are those who love a particular sin so much, or they feel so dependent on it, that they would prefer to hold on to that sin even if it drags them into hell. John three nineteen through 20 says, And that is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And for me, that reality was brought home by reading C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, in which there were people who had the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven, but because they could not let go of an abiding sin, and it was different for each person, because they could not let go of whatever it is, they missed the opportunity for the wonderful joy and peace and happiness and fulfillment that God gives to his people in heaven. It happens, sadly. And finally, brothers and sisters, there are many who go to hell because of their unbelief. You see, unbelief is very serious because it makes Christ out to be a liar. John, the, uh, John affirms, 1 John 5.10, He who does not believe God has made him into a liar because he believes not the record that God gave of the sons, or he does not believe the witnesses that God gave of his son. And Christ came bearing witness, saying that you are a sinner, and in fact you are such a sinner that you cannot save yourself. Your only hope is to trust me as your Savior. And sadly, the unbelief says to Christ, I do not believe you, or I do not believe you enough to trust you as my Savior. And that is to accuse God's testimony given through Christ of being a lie and God does not take this lightly. And such unbelief prevents people from entering heaven. They could not enter because of unbelief, says Hebrew 3.19. And so in conclusion, what is hell? Well, hell is fire. Hell is eternal. Hell is a place not made for humans, but for Satan and his angels, his fallen angels, although hell is the destination of lost people. There are people who do not believe it exists. There are people who ignore it. There are people who procrastinate in coming to Jesus Christ. There are others who love sin. And so all of those who enter hell have one thing in common. 
unbelief. What has God done about that? He hasn't just given us bad news. He's given us very good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so God has done what he can do about it and what he will do about it. In Christ, God died for you. And so you must answer the question, what are you going to do about it? Let us pray. Almighty and loving God, we bless you for the gift of your word. We pray now for the grace to believe what we have heard and to live in ways that honor you above all through Christ our Lord. Amen.